You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Merry Christmas, you filthy animals! And welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Uh, If you don't know, my name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And uh, it is the Christmas season. It's the the season of giving. And uh, man, I I think I've mentioned this in another episode. I don't want to call myself an Uncle Scrooge or a, a Grinch per se, but Man, I just like, I'm not into the whole gift giving. I'm more into the food and the family aspect of it. And so like, and my wife's the opposite. So she is into the, oh man, do we have enough for the kids? I'm like, hell yes, we have enough for the kids. Look at the pile of shit in that corner that they're going to play with for the next 15 minutes. And then they're going to go back to doing something else. Right. Um, And I said to my wife, uh, like if they bitch one time this year if they bitch even the slightest amount about not getting what they wanted because uh, I'll do a little foreshadowing here here is my here is my um uh 
my my one son his Christmas gift. He wants a he's six by the way. He wanted a drone. He wanted a cell phone. He wanted an Xbox. Um, we did get him one thing that was on his list. They they're called magnetiles, and they're like uh, these little tiles that you can click together. They they you know they they magnetize to each other, and you can build shapes and houses and cool things like that. We did get him those, but then it was like all these things like expensive high-tech type things and i'm just like jesus man no way we're buying any of that shit for him right they haven't earned it (laughs) and so here my wife is like are you sure shouldn't we just try i'm like listen if we got these kids everything that they wanted this would be like a five grand christmas and there's no way in hell i'm spending five grand on my kids, this sounds bad, but on, on, on my kids for Christmas, no way I, I'm, I'm getting that shit. So she kind of agreed and we realized, hey, um, maybe let's just stick with some clothing. And we're we're the family that, um, I read this in some article sometime, I think I was waiting in a dentist office where get the really cool gifts from the parents and then like the socks, the stocking stuffers, the the really, the clothes, all that boring shit comes from Santa. So that way you look like the champion and Santa is just like, well, okay, well, I guess I really don't care what I get from Santa this year because it's probably another pair of underwear, you know, the same shit he got me last year. So if you want to be the hero, the, the hero gifts have to come from you. So instead of the Xbox, the iPhone, like all that tech stuff, you know, I got them, um, I'm building lofts for the kids. So um, I have one done already. My kids are at my parents. So when they come home on the 24th, the morning of the 24th, they're going to go down to their rooms, put all their stuff away, and they're going to see these lofts there. So, um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's something that they've wanted. And so hopefully they get excited about that. Because if they don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but, uh, uh, man, uh, we, you know, aside from Christmas, right, I just want to uh, spread a message of cheer and positivity here real quick. Um, I know this is a, a, a good, a, a fun type of podcast, right? We joke around a lot on it. We have fun. Um, we bullshit a lot on this podcast. But in, in all seriousness, Christmas is the time of family. It is the time of um uh, putting those good vibes that we always talk about out into the universe. And so if there's someone that you maybe have a bad relationship with, maybe now you might want to be the bigger person and uh, reach out to them. Just wish them Merry Christmas. Just tell them, hey man, you know, water under a bridge. Maybe we can try to rekindle or, or rebuild this relationship. Maybe it ended on a bad note or whatever. Uh, and, and just send those good vibes in or send those good vibes out to the world and, and, and individuals specifically who maybe you've been the person who who has done them wrong or maybe they've done you wrong. And remember that uh, um, forgiveness is, is a powerful thing. And what I mean by forgiveness is forgiveness. And I'm not trying to sound like a preacher here. I'm just trying to share with you guys my own kind of experiences here. But uh, forgiveness in the fact that you don't have to be friends with them again, but forgive them and say, hey, listen, I forgive you for what you've done to me or how you've treated me. I forgive you. And then you have that monkey off your back. You have that weight off your back. That, and, and I'll be honest with you, this is kind of an insight to my past, but I used to carry that weight around and it weighed me down. And I would think about it all the time and I was in a very negative state. And, and when I was able to just shed that weight, 
and, and maybe it's forgiveness or maybe it's just forgetting about it. And you know what? Just like, eh, I no longer care. I, I no longer am going to carry that weight, that burden that I don't need to. And you, you drop that and, or you forgive this person. And the next thing you know, boom, you can wake up the next morning. You take that deep breath. And you're like, God damn, man, I feel good today. And you go about the rest of your life right? So reach out to that family member, uh, shed some of that weight this Christmas season, um, be the better person, uh, send those good vibes out. You get the good vibes back and, and really cherish the time that you have with your children. Uh, I know on this podcast, I bitch about my kids a lot, but every second, I mean, the, the, the fact that I get to run my own business out of my house means that I'm here to send them to school. I'm here to, when they get off the bus, I'm here to spend time with them, throw, throw a football around or color with the kids or, or do what dads should do. And, uh, you know, I feel really grateful for that. Uh, and, uh, man, I, I don't, that's just, I'm just trying to, uh, spread a, a positive me- message here. Um, and I'll, I'll just end it at that. So but today, dude, we have a really good episode. And uh, if you have ever gone to a trade show, uh, whether that is the uh, you know in Illinois or Iowa or I don't even know where these guys go. I think they go to the Wisconsin show sometimes. Or if if you're at the ATA show this year, or if you ever meet a guy named Clinton Fawcett, you need to stop and say hi to the dude. He's he's good shit. Like he's a good person. And I like hanging out with Clinton every time, uh, we get together. And, uh, but, but this is a good episode because we talk about something that I don't personally talk about a lot on this, uh, podcast and that is property. So Clinton, uh, a property fell in his lap. It was for sale. He, it was at a good price. It was close to his house. He bought it. And now he's, he's having that, uh, those internal thoughts and debates about what should I do to this property to make it better? Uh, maybe make some income off of it. Maybe, uh, you know, turn it into a property where the family can have fun with it and make it an awesome whitetail spot too. So that's what this episode is about. He buys a new property and we're going to talk about his long-term and short-term goals of what he's going to do from a habitat standpoint, maybe build a pond, maybe put a cabin on it. Um, Uh, you know, there's currently cattle on it. There's currently ag on it. So this huge conversation revolves around what, you know, what he's going to do with this piece of property that he uh, purchased, because I'll be honest with you. I hope in my stocking or wrapped up is uh, a farm this year. I'm not going to get that, but it would be cool. Like I think about being a landowner all the time, right? It's like an end game. It's an end goal for me is to be a landowner. So that's what today's uh, podcast is about. Before we get into those, though, I just want to run through real quickly um, all of the uh, partners of this podcast. Um, please, if you have a late Christmas or if you you, you get some uh, Christmas uh, gift certificates, check out these brands. Not only are they corn like very uh, predominant brands in the hunting industry, they they make really good products as well and products that i i don't hesitate talking about on this podcast because they work and i and i use them myself so and i know a lot of people say that so take everything uh everything i say with a grain of salt but i love these products all right so first is hunt stand go to huntstand.com you can read up on all of the the digital mapping that these guys do there it's it's the number one hunting app and uh, it's very affordable it is also the functionality behind it is top tier compared to any other um, hunting app that there is lone wolf uh, 
portable tree stands. Some news coming out of the Lone Wolf camp here pretty soon. Um, <clears throat> uh, four sets or four, uh, four sticks and assault gets me anywhere. Wasp Archery, wasparchery.com. Um, I'm telling you, this podcast or uh, their broadheads completely destroy any and everything that they touch. <laughs> so uh, I have two deer hanging or two deer heads in my office right now that I'm looking at that, uh, you know, when we hunt, we kill shit. And uh, this was, these deer were destroyed by a wasp broadhead. Uh, also huge contributor to my success i feel is in ozonics and that is walking in ozonicshunting.com walking in with the unit walking out with the unit running and in the tree with the unit running and i I use it all the time i even use it like (laughs) this is gonna sound bad but uh my my youngest son missed the toilet taking a poop the other day so that we had cleaned up the poop off the floor and we had to uh run uh run the ozonics in that bathroom to get the smell and the odor out uh so if it can take if it takes poop like kid poop out of a bathroom it can take your scent out of the woods so uh that's why i love ozonics there's a lot of information on their website ozonicshunting.com and then of course uh the the title sponsor here and a company that does amazing things they have an amazing product line of vortex optics vortexoptics.com exodus uh, outdoorgear.com amazing trail cameras i mean they get the job done uh they work when they're supposed to work right that's all i care about on a trail camera i'm not looking for the best quality pictures even though these guys have awesome you know imagery that goes along with their trail cameras but i want my trail camera to work so i know what deer are in the area and then lastly if you are looking for a crossbow um one of the cornerstone crossbow companies in the hunting industry is Excalibur. They've been around for about 30 years or yeah, longer than that. They've been around for a long time and you don't, you're you're not successful as a company unless you're doing something right for that, you know, for that long. So if you're looking for a, 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 a really quality crossbow, ExcaliburCrossbow.com, check them out. All right. I've hoard out over the Christmas. I really appreciate each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen. So kudos to you. Thank you very much. And uh, man, Merry Christmas to all. Drink and be merry. And uh, the next time I talk to you will be post-Christmas, pre-New Year's. And we got some big things coming down the pipe here at the network that I'm going to be uh, pretty jacked to share with you guys. So uh, let's get into today's uh, property buying podcast with my man, Clinton Fawcett. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today. This is like a, a yearly thing right around this time now. Mr. Clinton Fawcett. Clinton, how we doing, man? Doing well, Dan. How about yourself? Doing good. I think I think it's the same time every year, right? It's <laughs> I think it is very close. If it's not the exact same time, it's really close to it. Right, right. So I don't know. I was you know, we had this scheduled today and I have my office that I, I pretty much built myself. My father put the, the flooring in the, uh, I did all the drywall work myself and, uh, I had a electrician come in and you're an electrician and he ran, uh, some lines for me. And then I installed the, the blue boxes and the, um, and the actual plugin, right? Right. (laughs) Oh my God. I am horrible at trying to cut 
out drywall to match where the blue boxes were like none of them line up i don't even know if the the outlet covers are going to fit over top of these outlets because some of them are too far out and some of them some of them are way behind the drywall so uh i'm, I'm glad i didn't go into the, the trades you're gonna have to buy the oh shit covers the great big ones exactly exactly like i, I wish they made flexible ones where you could, you just have to that just kind of form around it. You could push push in, and then it would actually make it look good. Right. He just heat them up with a torch and put them on. They'll, they'll melt. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's how my house gets caught on fire. <laughs> well, you should have called. I could have made a trip over. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, I wanted I wanted to BS a little bit up front, but I think the BS is actually going to be like we're going to cover it all in the rest of the episode. So what what I want to do is you kind of had a something big happen in your life this year and you ended up buying a new property. So and I want to I want to talk about buying the new property, getting it set up for whitetails and, and what you did and what that process looked like, because I'm really interested in, in something like that. Um, so my question to you is right out of the gate. How many acres did you buy and uh, how did you come across this decision to buy this property? Well, we bought uh, my wife and I bought, I think it's. 72 or 73 acres okay um it's about two miles from my house up the road and it, it was not a planned a planned thing or a uh it's not something you know we, we've been working and we you know we're smart with our money and she always she's always wanted a house in wyoming in the state of wyoming yeah and i and my whole my whole thing always is well if we're not moving to wyoming why do i need a house in wyoming I can go stay at Dustin's whenever I want to. The last thing I need is a house that's out there that at the end of the day, Dustin and Jen would have to take care of all the time. My, but you know, people who are out there, Yeah. but she just always over and over wants this house, wants this house. So there's a chunk of ground come up for sale behind my house. My dad was going to buy it. My wife said, what do you think is going to happen with your dad buying that farm? It was like uh, 50 acres, mostly like 40 acres of tillable. I said, well, he'll back out of buying it. Like he always does. She said, well, maybe we should buy it. And I was like, oh, crap. What about the house in filming? She's like, well, you know, prices of everything's going up. Maybe that's just something we shouldn't do. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do it anyways. It sounds good. So I said something to my dad. Dad's like, keep your fingers out of it. I'm not backing out of it. It's mine. I already got it signed for. So my neighbor and I was having a couple drinks one night. And I said, hey, um, you know, he had mentioned to me several months before that he was going to sell this piece of his farm. Um, to somebody else, the people that have hunted there my whole life. I said, well, that's cool. And uh, we were having a beer one night, and I said, if you ever have anything else you want to sell close to the house, let me know. Emily's, you know, may we'll be interested in it. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, the people that were going to buy it kind of couldn't uh, couldn't get it done. And uh, I was out in the shed one night, and I turned around, and there he stood with a 12-pack of beer, and I said, I guess I bought a farm, huh? And he said, yep, it's <laughs> well here we go so ended up with a farm yeah well it's kind of funny the how you how you brought that up i thought you were gonna i thought you were gonna say something like well i got into a bidding war with my dad <laughs> well that, no because my dad would have just backed out because he's a chicken if, if he wasn't a chicken with own like five thousand acres around my house because he's backed out of all that at some point in his life 
not yeah. five thousand, but we don't a thousand. Yeah. So, but yeah. So you know, wasn't planning on buying it. Um, didn't go looking to buy it. And then you know, when my neighbor told me he was selling it to, uh, to the guys that have hunted up there, I you know, I never thought anything about it because they've hunted there my whole life. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, they've always hunted up there. And then uh, just ended up that you know, it just didn't work out. And uh, I was next in line, so we got it. That's awesome. So, you know, knowing you, knowing how much you love deer hunting, it had to be some kind of at least decent property for you to buy it. I mean, if it was junk ground and there wasn't any deer on it, you probably wouldn't be buying it. So what made this property so attractive? Well, a couple things, a few few things for sure. Number one, it's close to my house. Yeah. So which... From a deer hunting standpoint, it's good and bad because I, I I can hunt the same most of the same deer I I have up there I can hunt somewhere else on the farm that we currently have. Yep. Um, because don't there's about 200 yards between the north end of the property that I hunt and the south end of the farm that we bought. Um, but there is other deer up there that their home ranges don't overlap with what I already had. But so that was the first thing is it was close to the house because then the wife and the kids can use it a lot easier. Right. Um, second thing is it's old cattle pasture with some tillable on it. And it's, it's really rough cedars, hedge, um, a lot of Russian olive and honeysuckle that I'm working on cutting out. But the other part that attracted me to it is the, it's almost in two pieces. It's one solid chunk of ground, but there's a, a, if you're coming into it from the east, there's a draw in the front, and then there's 12 acres of grass in the middle that stretches the entire length of the property. And then on the other side of that grass is 30 or 40 acres of timber with some pasture in it. So that allows it to be kind of multi-purpose. I can have the family stuff up in the front closer to the road, and we're going to build us a little cabin in there um, and possibly put a lake in it. And then we can also be up there all the time, but not affect the back 40 acres where I would do most of my deer hunting. Right. So kind of, you know, multi-purpose where it's not always, you know, I, I'm a butthead when it comes to that stuff, right? Yeah. I don't want to be in there if I'm hunting some giant deer, but I also want to make sure the family can use it too. Yeah. So, and that's one thing that I've always uh, kind of been debating on in my uh in my head is like well if i if i buy this property i don't want to tell my family no you can't go out and use it because I'm, i've turned it into some kind of sanctuary i want it to be right. you know multi-purpose and not just be 100 percent selfish with it so um it's cool that that layout is really cool now you mentioned it kind of so does it run long then north south yes okay yeah it runs long north south so it's it's weird shaped. Um, like, let's just say on the on the east side, you go into it and it's real long, and then it's like got a big L in it, and then the, uh, and then once you continue west, it, it rectangulars off. But okay, on the, it's really rough. I mean, it's it's been cattle pasture my whole life. It was almost all grass and cedars when I was a kid, and then it's since grew up more hedge. And I mean, it's you know the the cattle pastures just provides you so much opportunity yeah. as far as fear management goes that that you don't realize right like yeah. there's just something you can do with it and it, 
it'll, it'll be really good. It's yeah. going to take a little bit of time, but it's going to be really, really good. Yeah. All so, right. So you, you bought this property and knowing you, the wheels start turning in your head, right? You, I mean, you've already mentioned yep. that, you know, you want to put a cabin, potentially a pond on it. Now from a deer management standpoint, like, what are you going to do? Maybe talk about this short-term versus long-term and how you're going to manipulate this property in order to, you know, get deer, not only to hang out there, but hang out all year and attract, you know, mature bucks. Well, the, the first thing you're right. I, I went, you know, my mind never quit. So I was ready to go hellbent for election. And we, we did a couple episodes on Bowhunter Die about the new farm. And I had all these plans of what I was going to do. Like, I'm, I'm going forward. I, I'm going to plant all this grass. I'm going to cut some of these trees over here. I'm going to plant food plots there. I had all kinds of plans, right? And several years ago at the Iowa Deer Show, I met Greg Glissinger through Todd Graff. And he sells medical equipment, blah, blah, blah. I work in hospitals most of the time, so kind of hit it off talking about it. Well, he had saw it on Bowhunter Die, and he had messaged me and said, hey, if you get a minute, give me a shout. I want to talk to you about this farm. Like, okay. So I, so I called him and he's like, look, the worst thing you can do is rush into it and put all these plans in there. In the past, when we've had cattle pasture placed in Iowa, I've rushed into what I was doing and I didn't realize how the deer was going to use it. And once you cut a tree down or make something, that's something you can't ever take back. He's like, I think you need to put the brakes on it a little bit. So I did. I, I told Frank, I'm like, look, we, maybe we should just slow down. We'll get some food in there, and we'll see what happens. And I am so glad that I did because the deer use it 100% the opposite of what I thought they would. Like, they do not come from the places I thought. I mean, they come from where I thought they would, but they travel out of these. Yeah, elaborate on that a little bit. So... As far as the, hang on a minute. Where am I taking off that, Dan? Sorry about that. All right, no worries. Hang on. Let me make a note here so I can edit this. Uh, 11 minutes. What was the last thing you heard? Uh, well, we started, you started talking about how you, you're, you, you were glad that you held off on uh, making any right. big changes because, right, you know, right. okay. where you thought they were and where you, yep. uh, what they actually were doing were two different things. Okay. Go ahead. So what the deer, what I thought the deer would do and what they actually did was totally two different things. Where the main bedding areas were on the farms, they still, they were bedding where I thought they would, but the way they were traveling in and out of them was 100% the opposite. Um, you know, we, we took the 12 acres of grass in the middle of the farm and we farmed all of it this year to get the sod busted up, everything leveled and tore out to where it gave us, you know, something to work with in the future what well frank and i had talked and discussed it and we thought well we'll leave the food clear in the back of the farm so let's say you can access it from the northeast you get to the middle part of the farm and we left the food in the 12 acres section in the middle clear to the south because we could still access it down at that end and we thought having the food in the center more center part of the farm would help out and the deer would travel out to it that way and Plus, it was easier for the farmer to leave it there the first year. Yeah, and don't they don't want it down there? They, it's like trying to force them to go to that end of the farm, and they want to be all on the north end. 
So the, the food actually needs to be clear up on the north, which in the future will help us out because it's a lot easier to access it there. Um, and it allows to create more bedding to the south. But, you know, I just I can't overstate how glad I am that I slowed down and didn't do my normal just balls to the wall, tunnel vision, hard as I can go. I know everything. Yeah. I'm the smartest person I've deal because yeah. I would have wasted a lot of time and I would have cut trees down, made paths, did different things. That's irreversible. At least, you know, in the short term, it would take change it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Change it back. So out of curiosity here, why did the deer like to be on the North side of the farm as opposed to the South side? I, I, I still don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. They, they, they just want to come out of that bedding area that way. And so, so like there's 13 acres of cedars, grass and hedge that's, that's on this ridge in the center of the farm. And we just completely stay out of there. It's a big bedding area. You can tell when you walk in there, a lot of rubs, beds. Um, and the way it lays out, I thought they would drop off that ridge, come down this low spot and then up, onto the back food plot field, which where is where there's a big ridge back there. And they all want to travel up that low spot to the north, get out in the wide open in the field, and then they just don't want to come back there to the south. And I've learned in the past that if you're going to have a good food plot or a good food source for deer to go to, if you can put it in their road in a natural travel corridor, it can be really, really good. And until you get two foot of snow or it gets really, really cold, it's hard to force them to go somewhere they don't want to go because they'll just go eat something else. Right. They're just at the least resistance, you know. Yeah. But definitely something we're going to dig into a lot this winter after deer season's over, and hopefully we get some snow at some point so then I can go in there and see exactly why they're doing that. Right. And heading away. Right. So are cattle still active on this farm, or were they active on the farm up until you bought it yes okay yes and we're still going to put cows back in it um for a few months every spring okay just to keep some stuff ate down and and naturally you know there's good sense on part of it and to help us with our taxes and yeah. and all that stuff so so it's still a working farm gotcha okay uh, so i want to talk a little bit about this this the cattle aspect of it because i've hunted some farms that have active cattle and for some reason like deer and for this is my experience deer and horses don't seem to like there's doesn't seem to be a problem with deer and horses but deer and right. cattle like deer will go out of their way to stay away from cattle that's just that's they won't mix in the same pasture like they they would a horse so bringing these cattle in uh, and this is kind of a real long question because I've noticed that when you pull cattle out of a place over the next five years, that can turn into some of the best habitat, maybe not natural habitat with like native brows and things like that, but it just starts to get thick and nasty and the deer just love it. Are are you seeing, are you seeing the, the possibility for that on this farm? Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's crazy how much the grass has naturally grew up back inside the cedars, and definitely a lot a lot of uh, you know just undergrowth, rose bushes. You know we're going to have to be careful with the honeysuckle and the Russian olive, trying to keep it cut back. Where we'll turn the cows in is mostly where there's a bunch of grass 
Yeah. Um, some of it, which, which will be turned into native grass, and they'll come in and eat that down in the spring. And that's actually really good on your native grass, you know, for the hooves, you know, the tracks in the grass, and it just does a lot of stuff for it there. Yeah. Um, but it will get nasty, crazy thick. Yeah. And there's not a lot of strip there right now because – you got to remember I hunt everything to the south of it and I've got it dialed in very, very well down there. So the deer naturally, once fall progresses, progresses, they want to go that way anyways to the south, travel a mile away to where I'm at down there. Um, because that's where the great bedding, great food, you know, prairie grass, better habitats at for them. So it's going to take a few to get the deer to stay up there more but it's definitely it's gonna you know you're exactly right on how thick it's going to get yeah so with 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 that said then um depending on who you talk to on on a habitat standpoint a lot of guys are just like man we got to get rid of the cedars uh we got to get rid of you know anything that's kind of an invasive uh type plant or multiple you know like uh, again another thing that uh uh, comes in with cattle pastures is multi-flower rows, right? Um, right. Do you have any ideas uh, or plans to get rid of a lot of, of these other invasive species to uh, try to bring it back to, I guess, a pure farm? Or is it, you really don't care about it that much, uh, I just want to grow big deer? Well, I, I want to grow big deer. Yeah. But I, I know um, in the past, one of the mistakes I've made in the last 20 years is, Everywhere that was flat, I had to have food, right? So right. I tore out tons of habitat and created more food. And the key to having big deer is not having food. It's having better habitat, yeah. right? Because you only have so many deer. And if your farm can't produce the bedding habitat for for 15 deer, it doesn't matter if you got 15 acres of food, there's not going to be any more deer there, right? right? Your, your demand is never going to outweigh the supply. So... Um, one thing that I do know is not to go in there and tear it off. The, the cedars are not thick. Okay. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't think I will go in and cut a, cut many of them out. I'm sure at some point I'll use them to direct some deer inside of there. Um, the one thing I'm going to work on is cutting out some of the Russian olive, most of it, and some of the honeysuckle. Yeah. Because what it does is that Russian olive, it grows so big and clouds out such a giant area on the ground with with a tree that's just the size of a softball i'll just go in there and cut it and spray it and then that'll come back up and grass i already did a little bit of it last spring right when we first bought it just as kind of a test area to see what it would do and the grass came right back so i feel like if i can get more grass within the cedars and less russian olive for sure it'll be better bedding and it's going to just continually get thicker Right. As far as cauliflower rows, you know, it's it's not going to be terrible in there, and some of it's not bad. It's just when it gets so thick that it creates a impenetrable yeah. area. Yeah. 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 That's one of the farms that I I hunt. That's near my house. Is man, the deer love it. It's thick in there. It's you know, it's it's that six foot six foot vegetation where you're just kind of breaking everything to get to it, but it's just littered. Right with multi-flower rows like i have to wear dicky or like the that real thick denim pants in order to yeah. hunt hunt in there because if i wore like th- that fleece stuff it would just get torn to shreds right right 
Yep. Well, yeah, most of our farms that way. Like after Frank and I ever shoot a deer out there, the first thing we do is take our good clothes off and put car hearts on. <laughs> because right. you're not going to go down through there and keep anything. You know, your chances of getting it cut and, and trashed up with jiggers and, you know, yeah. stick tights and cutting it on thorns is, is pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's one of the things I concentrate on. Is, and I'm going to ease into it a little bit and not try to do the whole thing at once, just do like a couple, three acres at a time and see what it does as far as regeneration and then, you know, go a little bit more from there. Gotcha. So currently on this farm, what is the, what's the deer situation right now? I mean, is it holding good deer? Does it have a good number of deer? What's the story? Yeah, there's, you know, there's several deer up there right now. I'd say there's probably 15 to 20 deer on the farm right now. Um, maybe, maybe more than that. That might be a little low estimate. There, there's more deer up there than I think. They're just using it differently than what I'd planned. And I haven't been hunting up there very much. I've been kind of letting it sit. I've got two and a half acres of, of standing corn up there right now, that if the weather would turn, I would go up there and hunt. There's, there's three good bucks up there right now that I would shoot. Um, I had a giant three-year-old last year that I passed up. I think we talked about it last year after we podcasted, but I called him Dexter. Um, he was four this year. Man, he was just in there every day. It's like 185 or 90-inch 10-pointer, just a giant As deer. a three-year-old? No, last year he was 172 or something as a three-year-old. I passed him up three or four times. <sighs> this year he blew up and was bigger. And man, when I bought that, when Emily and I bought that farm, I thought, holy crap, the first deer, I, this deer's got to live up there. Cause he'd never come. I'd never see him until the first week of November down on our farm. Right. And I'd see him up along the highway in the summer. So I knew he had to be living in there. Well, right off the bat, first time I run cameras, I get a picture of him coming out of this bedding area headed to the North. And I'm like, no way. Like the, I just knew in my head, I'm like, this is too good to be true. The first deer I'm going to kill on the farm that we bought is going to be this 185 or 90 inch 10 pointer that I've been passing up the last two years. So man, he was there every day, Dan. I mean, every day yeah. I get a picture. I'm coming out 13 acre bedding area headed North going to little alfalfa fields up along the highway every day, every day. I'm at football practice. Cell cam goes off, you know, phone goes off. I'd look at him after practice or whatever. There he is every night. Damn. I'm like, hold we're gonna kill him yeah october 1st we got football walks by the camera 701 october 2nd we got football walks by the camera again 701 october 3rd walks by the camera again 701 701 three days in a row three days in a row 701 p.m three days in a row exact same time damn october 4th October 4th, the wind, see, we'd had it south. October 1st through 3rd, south wind. October 4th, Frank and I can go, and the wind is west, northwest. And and we're like, well, we, got, we, we, we can't get where he's at, so we need to move around down here to where he's going to on this green food. And we move down there. He never shows up. I had one picture of him that night, right, like, 45 minutes after Frank and I had left, he was there. Never had another picture of him since. Oh, dang. You think he got hit by a car or so something? I, 
Well, either he either got hit by a car or he's dead. We did have a little bit of EHD, and that's a little late for normal EHD around home. But we had a giant rain like the third week of September, and it'd been dry all of September. Um, so I so either died. I I I mean, I wouldn't. You know, deer can disappear, right? right. They go somewhere else. But yeah. this deer's always south down onto us. Yeah. Now, not things going to change, but. You know, I've got a lot of ground on their cameras on it. So he's he's not definitely not down there. He last picture I had was October fourth. Haven't had a picture since. So I would assume he either went a mile north, got hit by a car on the highway, or he's laying down there dead from EHD. Could be. Um or hopefully this is what happens. He decides, hey, I'm gonna move somewhere else for this year and uh then he comes back. Right, because if he shows back up now, I'm probably not gonna shoot him. Because I really want to have a chance in my life to hunt a 200 inch deer. And if I shoot him now, yeah, you know, nobody, chances are nobody else is going to shoot him now because it's after gun seasons. Yeah. And my butt bike that I hunt with is tagged out. So then Frank's tagged out. So I, 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 I'm the only one left with a tag. So chances are if he did show up late, late in the season, unless I probably would let him go. Dang. That takes some guts, dude. <laughs> like, I'll tell you this. In my life, I will probably never. I mean, I'm not going to say never because right now I don't own any farm. Like, I can't. I, I can't manage anything. Um, I don't. I don't lease, so I can't keep people out. Uh, so, in it, it, like, I don't think I would ever pass any deer like that as a four-year-old hoping he comes back the next year at, at 200. I just, I just don't think I could ever talk myself into it. <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd pass him last year when he was 175, but I passed him three or three or four times really yeah. close. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that hunt there, right? Like my buddy, Mike. So we own the farm clear on the South. My buddy, Mike, his family owns the farm in the middle and then we own the farm on the north, and we just hunt the whole thing as one. Yeah. So, like, we talk to each other when they're down, when Mike's down. He goes wherever he wants. I go wherever I want. You know, no big deal. Yep. Everything works out. Yep. So, and then there's people that hunt on the west, too, that hunt all over in there. So, you know, it's just one of those uh, one of those things. But I, I just don't see myself shooting him right now yeah. if he shows back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a better man than me. So the the good news is, is there are, there's deer already on the property and there are yeah. good deer on the property. I mean, any, any other up and coming, like two or three year olds that you, you have Intel on that you're just like, God, please, please make it until, you know, four or five. There's, there's one deer up there. He's a 10 pointer. He's got really big brow tines. Well, he's actually a, I guess he'd be like a 12 or 13. He's got double inside main beams on each side, Damn. but they're like six inches long, each one. And then he's a mainframe 10 with short main beams, but like eight inch brow tines. And the deer's absolutely huge body, just ginormous. And I passed him up um, real early in the season up there. I had him at like 15 yards. He'd come out one night. And he just looks young in the face to me. You know, I've never seen the deer before. I've never had pictures of him on down where I've hunted previously. So I don't know the deer. He'd probably field dress like 230 or 240 yeah. in October. 
he was yeah. a really big deer, but it just looked like he's a young deer. Yeah. Like, so I didn't shoot him. So it'll be interesting. He's still alive. I just had a picture of him last night. It'll be interesting to see what he turns into next year. You know, he'll either that deer will either be the same size because he's old and going downhill, or he's going to blow up. Yeah, one or the other. I don't seem, you know, I'm either 100 percent right or 100 percent wrong. Right? He's either three, <laughs> he's either three or he's seven. Right. One or the other. <laughs> That's no funny. Way. So. Hey, dude, I had a, um, I had a fork, I got a fork horn buck uh, about two or three years ago that he, he was coming out into this, uh, coming into this staging area, coming out of this bedding area across this creek, coming into a staging area, almost on the regular. And one, one night there, he was standing next to, you know, you look at a deer when he's standing by themselves and there's not really a reference that you can that you can, you can compare them to because there's nothing else in, in there other than, you know, if you flip through trail cam picks, but right. this, this four corn deer is now standing next to this deer that I know is a three-year-old. Cause he's got some, he's got some really cool characteristics on his G2. And I, so I knew that deer from two years in a row. And so now this deer is standing up against a three-year-old and he is gigantic bodied fork horn and he has all the characteristics of a young deer flat backs long skinny legs um you know small chest small rump but he's just really long tail to snout and i would say like damn near a foot longer than this other buck standing real close they're standing close to each other and i'm just like holy cow this deer is the next 300 pounder on the farm you know what i mean right 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 we we had one back in the day, and Frank and I was always going to shoot him. And then we were always hunting a big deer. I couldn't get myself to shoot. I, we would only see him late season in the daylight. But he was a spike, and we thought it was a we thought it was a giant like morphodite doe buck, whatever you call him, right? Yeah. Like it always had spikes. It didn't look like it ever shed, but it was absolutely ginormous body. Yeah. And and we would we would get pictures of it, but we would only see it late season when it got crazy, crazy, crazy cold. Yeah. And we, we never did get it shot, but I wonder sometimes, I'm like, I know that was just a giant old buck or it was a, you know, a, a buck that had got hurt or was a doe with horns, one or the other, Yeah. but it's huge. We just never could get ourselves to shoot it. Yeah. You, well, Frank was afraid that. I couldn't shoot it. Frank would have shot it in a heartbeat. It wouldn't yeah. matter if there was a hundred inch coming up the hill because it was cool. Frank would have, yeah. Frank would have wiped it out just to figure it out. Well, you're either a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong, right? Right. Every right, time. Right. <laughs> so, um, every. we talk, we talked a little bit about this, you know, the, the short term goal with this farm. Now let's talk about what you envision this farm to look like in, let's just say 10 years. 10 years. I I've got major plans for 10 years and I have it all in my head scoped out already after being up there. Um, this year, first thing we're doing is we're next year the the farm the tillable acreage will all be beans on the farm. Okay. So for next year to start, which is short term, but we'll work into the long term term plan, we're going to move all the food to the front, and then but from that front area where it's at, you can see the neighbor's house about 400 yards away. So we'll we'll definitely have like a screen of corn, standing corn up there to keep from being able just to give the deer, get the deer a little more comfortable. Now that house has been there for 
30 years. So the deer are used to the house being there, right? It's not like it's anything new, but just, you know, in case somebody drives down the driveway or does something and keeps from boogering them up. Right. But the, the plan is, in the, is to move the food up there next year to that end, which makes it more accessible. And it's got a nice hill right behind the field so you could drop out of there at night and get down. And, okay. and be out of out to access now if, depending on what next year brings if that is the area we should have food then and once we see how they work to it there then we will leave it there so next year it'll all be beans now after that after it's been farmed for a couple of years i'll either look at putting it in crp the rest of the 12 acres that's there um which that might be three years in illinois uh, before you can do that but I'm going to look into that, and then the whole rest of that area will eventually be grass. Okay. Oh, so there'll be three acres of food in there, and then the rest of it will be grass. Okay. Which prairie grass, some will be natural regeneration of small cedars and and weeds, um, for sure. There. Gotcha. So you're you're pulling the egg out at some point. Y- yes. Okay. Either after this year after this year or next year the in illinois when you buy a chunk of ground you can't put it in crp for until you farmed it for one year okay that's if it's already tillable okay now if it's new tillable i think it's two or three years of data on it before they'll let you put it in crp i gotcha all right so now the other thing is i didn't buy the farm to make any money off of it so if the crp thing doesn't work out i'm gonna plant it in grass anyways yeah that's I bought it to have a place for the family and to deer hunt. Gotcha. So more bedding with grass, natural prairie grasses, some switch grass. I'll probably mix in some miscanthus in spots to shield it from the road um, and increase the bedding habitat to where I can put my food up in the front and get it dialed in around there, but also have the grass real tall at spots in the 12 acres where I could use it to access farther back to the west at certain times during the rut okay Okay. so that's the plan with that um the other plan is i'd like to put a lake up in the front which would be you know depending on where we put a levy i got a guy coming this week to kind of give me a money aspect on it because i you know i don't know if he might tell me 20 grand he might say 70 grand i'll be like well cancel that out of the mix i can't afford to do that but if, if it's where I can afford it, I'm going to put a lake in the front. And it could be six to 12 acres, depending on the two spots we have, to put a dam. Okay. But that that would eliminate that part of the farm for any deer and give me a back to my prairie grass and food plot scenario. And then I'd still have like, you know, 50 acres of it over there that would be for deer hunting. Yeah. Well, the good part about that is, you know, a lot of times – a body of water like that really ends up being a uh, a, a pinch point or uh, it's a, a, a giant wall that they have to go one way or the other around it. And man, I've heard on this podcast in particular, I've heard so many success stories of guys hunting right below a levee or yep. you know a pond levy and there's always yep. a lot of sign down down in there for some reason i i don't know what makes it attractive to, to a deer but they always i guess they they like hanging out there right well it's, there's a it, it, frank and i have talked about it a lot when we're up there hunting i always like to hunt when there's a back to where i'm at because 
I'm not good at scent control. I come straight from work most of the time. I'm not clean. I've learned with having kids and over time, I mean, we've talked about on her before. Right. If I get to go, I go. Well, up there with that area being in the middle of the farm, there is no back. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the deer can come direction. Right. The only way you could have back is if you hunted it clear up with the front with a straight south wind, you would be okay. Other than that, they can come from both sides of you, which I do not like. Right. Which I could cop that with water, which would then improve the family aspect of it. You know what I'm saying? Fishing. And provide yeah, fishing and provide access and a levee, which would create more pinch points. It just really plays into making it um, better for me. For ten, you know, in every aspect, because the family and the deer hunting, right, and the fishing, yep. the fish. So, yep. be good. That's awesome. Um, is like, are there? Uh, this is one question I didn't ask you. Is there any hardwoods like uh, oaks or any oaks back in there? There's one spot in the far southwest corner of it that's got. There's probably probably seven acres of hardwoods okay um and then up from it between there and the cedar and where like the cattle pasture type stuff takes over there is about a three acre or four acre spot in there that's got a bunch of sassafras trees in it do you guys have sassafras trees over there you know we might i don't know they're like a they get they once they start they're they're, they're like a they don't grow in clumps but they they grow off each other's roots so they'll be spread out like 10 feet apart and then it'll be a new trunk. Okay. And then there'll be another, another one, another one. And they get real evasive, and I need to get rid of them. They provide no, um, nothing. No right? benefit. There's no benefit to it. Okay. So I need to get those cut down. Either either take them all, you know, I'll probably leave them standing and just kill them and then see what comes up. Yeah. But I need to get the honeysuckle more under control first before I do that because that's just going to move in there next, right? You're going to get rid of one and invite in another one. Right. So, right. But, th- but that's the bad spot over on that side. So, but there is some hardwoods and there could possibly be some turkeys um, eventually if our turkey population ever comes back. So, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I feel like we're struggling with in Iowa is a low turkey population. Um, so, Anything else on this this long term? A cabin, uh, a lake. Uh, you know, you're going to be removing ag, and really, it sounds sounds to me the plan is to just concentrate the food in one area um, and just make it a destination for the deer to come to. Correct. Okay. More habitat. Yep. More habitat. Enough food to feed what deer are going to live there, and then once I feel like I have too many deer to that are eating too much of the food then i'll start shooting a few does and controlling it that way but definitely more ha- i've i've at least at home it seems to me like with where i hunt the more habitat i can provide the more usable acres so if i take every acre of the farm and make sure it's usable right so if it's two acres of mullet floor rows and i clean it all out and then stuff can use it the more usable acres the more deer that the acres produce the better habitat, the more big deer that we have, the more opportunities we have to shoot them. Yeah. So absolutely. That. Absolutely. That sounds, uh, sounds awesome. So, um, as of right now, like the, the goal is also, I mean, I have a, I have a couple farms that I hunt where man, certain times a year, the deer are there. And then certain times a year, the deer are not there. Um, 
is is your farm from from what you can tell right now i mean does it hold deer all year round or do more come in into it certain times than others i think it's going to be good early always it's going to be an early farm because the the farm south of where i hunt is not and and i saw that a lot of the deer were up there this summer and then they traveled south so it's definitely going to be an early farm and it sets up well to hunt early because it's got like southwest wind access which would be really good early on um and i assume it's going to hunt really good the last two weeks of season because there's getting to be a few more deer back up there now um they didn't rut in there real hard like a lot of the deer moved south down um to the thicker areas on mine and my neighbor grooves down there um they didn't rut in there real good but I assume that'll change over time with the cattle being gone because um, it's going to thicken it up a little bit more. And, you know, there's been cows there for 60 years. So every old doe in the place knows I need to be out of here because I'm not going to deal with these cows. Right. In the fall. Right. right. So now not up there, I think it's going to take a few years to get that changed. But 100% for sure, it's going to be very, very good early. Yeah. No matter what. Like, just there's a lot of deer that summer up there it's the last chunk of ground before you get out in the wide open which at home all the big deer like to go out in the wide open all the time in the summer that's where they like to be at um and i i i know for sure for a fact it's going to be really good early every year yeah well i'll tell you what man it sounds exciting like i'm getting exciting excited for you on this farm uh, because I wish that I could do what you're about to do. And that's basically have free reign to do whatever you want to do in order to, you know, maybe, maybe it's not necessarily all about deer. Maybe it's like, Hey man, I'm, I might help bring the turkeys back or, you know, I'm going to, I'll be creating a pheasant habitat as well. So man, like someday that's my goal. Right. Well, it has been, it is exciting. And I do know, you know, you're, you, you sparked it there with the pheasants I got real big into planting bedding habitat, grass, prairie grass, which is great, right? But the quail, we don't, I, I used to quail hunt a lot when I was a kid, and we don't have any quail anymore. But the reason I don't have any quail anymore, and I think it's with the baby turkeys also, is we don't have any weeds, because right. we kill them all. Yep. Like, the, there was places that I killed sod to plant prairie grass, and I never got around to it, and then it grew up in natural weeds, and it, then there's quail, and I ran a bunch of turkeys out of there again. So part of the farm, I'm just going to go kill the grass yeah, and just, you know, let it come up and then I'll take care of it because it's going to come up with some locusts and some hedge and I'll keep that, that mowed out every year, but I'm just going to let it grow natural weeds, you know, natural vegetation. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. My dad is doing some, so he just inherited 70 acres uh, from uh, the passing of my grandma. Was it last March? I believe it was. And, um, and so he is cash rent and it's up in northern iowa so it's all tillable and with right. a with a drainage like a, a creek running right down the middle of it like it's not really a creek it's more like a drainage uh like a buffer strip type thing just to collect water uh, right. so he's going to cash rent ha- half of it and then the other half of it is all turning into trees and crp and uh, we threw a trail camera out there and already got some deer on uh on camera even a buck i'd be like maybe a low 130s buck and we're talking about prime ag ground in iowa like the closest 
the closest tree is probably I want to say three quarters of a mile away uh, so like uh, that a guy could put a tree stand in or really any tree so he's going to be changing the habitat there I'm excited to see what that's going to do I'm excited to see how your farm turns out and uh, what I'd like to do is have you on again uh, in the spring uh, to talk about how yeah. some of this or spring or summer at some point to see how the, the process uh, is going on, on, on developing these farm right we can do it yeah for sure well, I tell you what, man, hopefully everything turns out your way. And uh, I appreciate you, Clinton, for coming on and hopping on the podcast and, and, uh, and chatting with us today. No problem, man. I enjoy being on every time. I appreciate it.